And, and the Lord definitely has a, a good word for us here this morning, here in this place. Um, I'm, I'm excited about what he's going to share. Uh, next week, this is kind of hard to believe, but next week we turn our clocks back one hour. One hour. You fall back. You get an extra hour of sleep before coming to church. Woo! And if you forget to, if you forget, then come and intercede and worship. You won't miss out, right? <laughs> oh, my. According to our clocks, it may look like we get to go back and to live that one hour over again, right? However, we, we know the reality. You don't get to live that same moment over twice, do you? Time keeps marching forward. What's done is done, and you, you can't go back. Um, none of us can do such a thing. Daylight savings time, it's a man-made event. And, um, you know, they're, they're always looking to overturn it. You know, I, I think it passed the Senate last time, but didn't make it to the House, right? Nancy Pelosi decided it wasn't important enough to vote on. She didn't bring it to the House. Oh, well, anyways, that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> but this is Jesus' pulpit. We're going to talk about good things. But whatever has been done in that hour is done. And we just keep moving forward moment by moment by moment. But there's something in us that longs sometimes to go back in time. There is something within us. Sometimes it's a matter of regrets. We wish we could go back and, and make that decision over again. I wish I could go back and say that differently. You know, we just long to go back so we could correct our wrongs, so that we could undo hurt and pain and all these different things. Sometimes it's a longing for better days. We have some fond memories that, man, I wish I could go back and live that moment over and over and over again. You know, we have these awesome memories, and we just wish we could stay in that place. You know, as children of the king, sometimes we have those encounters with God, and we just want to stay there. We don't want to leave. We just want to linger, right? We don't want to leave that place. But in any case, neither one of those can be done. You just can't go back. From this reality, we can learn what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4. He said that we, we learn to be watchful. We, we stand in the gap. We are watchers. We learn to be watchful. We learn to be prayerful. We learn to be devoted to prayer and to be thankful. We ensure that we make the most of every opportunity. So Colossians 4 teaches us, make the most of every opportunity because you just can't go back and live those things over again. There's nothing wrong with recalling and sharing our past. I mean, that's, that's what testimonies are all about, Right? There's power in testimony. In fact, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Nothing wrong with recalling those memories and sharing them, good, bad, or indifferent, right? You know, we, we learn from our mistakes. We, uh, we give testimony of the goodness of God, and we can laugh as we share good times together. I love when you get together as a family and remember, like, times you're growing up and stuff or friends and dumb stuff you did back in the day, you know. It's a good thing. You can do that. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that by any means. Um, but we have to be careful not to become stuck in our past, not to get tripped up by it so that it keeps pulling us back and hindering us from going forward uh, in life. Because God was very intentional in almost every way possible to show us through everything that he created that his desire is that we always be looking forward in life, that we're always forward-looking. Um, you know, he, he placed our eyes in the front of our heads, despite what your mom may have told you. They, they're not back there. We've, we've got medical evidence to prove that. 
Um, you know, our knees, they were designed to only bend to push us forward. Um, you know, I mean, um, our arms, they, they bend forward. They don't bend backward. And people who can do that kind of stuff just creeps me out. Oh, anyways, you know, most of us. But to try to run backwards, not only is it, I'm not going to do it because I'll probably kill myself here, but not only is it incredibly awkward, but if you run backward long enough, what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to run into somebody. You know, there's going to be some damage. God did all of this to show us you got to keep moving forward in life. You can't go back. To try to go back is to just hurt yourself over and over and over again. God doesn't want you to be hurt over and over and over again. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. That's his desire. He wants to, he wants you. And that is what the Holy Spirit does within us. The Holy Spirit within us longs much, much more toward the good days ahead, right? Because your best days are yet to come. Your best days, I know not too many people believe that this morning from the sound of that, but they are. Your best days are still ahead of you, according to God's word. God knows your potential. He knows the plans and purposes for which you are created. He is your creator, and he will watch to make sure that they are fulfilled as long as we cooperate with him. <laughs> it's a cooperation, as Becky had shared this morning. He is incredibly excited for the awesome things that he has yet to come. And just imagine that. You know, we, we look back and we see our best days, but the spirit within us is like, oh, if you think that's good, just wait. Just wait. Like, he's so excited about what is yet to come. And so we need to learn to cooperate with that. We need to get eager and excited about the things yet to come. But usually we aren't because the future is very uncertain. We long for familiar things. We know what happened, you know, yesterday. And so we have a tendency to, to want to stay there. The future is uncertain, unknown. It's kind of scary. But the Holy Spirit wants us to long for those days as much as he longs. That's why Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. He said, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. <laughs> but pretty straightforward, right? Not that it's a sin, not that it's wrong, but it's just not wise because those are gone. You can't relive them. It's time to go forward to the good old days yet ahead. You know, I... I can't remember, oh, never mind, it was probably on TV because that's where I get my indoctrination from. Um, that, you know, the, the quote is from the office, I'm sorry. Um, he, the quote is, I wish I knew I was in the good old days when they were happening. You know? So you think things are bad now, but there may come a day when you look back and like, oh, man, I was so blessed. So many people were loving on me and praying and warning. And like, sometimes we don't, See the good days while they're in them, right? We just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me and my personality. I have a tendency to look at the things that need, need fixed. <laughs> things that need fixing, right? You know, sort of the negative things. But we need to learn to train ourselves to see the good in everything. To see God in everything and what he is up to. Now, the Bible provides many, many, many accounts that teach us the wisdom of looking and moving forward ahead in life. We learn to fix our eyes on Jesus, Right? Fix our eyes on Jesus, who has already gone ahead of us, pioneering away from us. He is calling us from our future to our future. He is calling you to a victory from a victory, right? He doesn't want you to just give up and sit down and cry. He wants you to move forward ahead in life. He is the author. He is the perfecter. He is the finisher of your faith. Your faith is his if you just place it in his hands. If you place your faith in him. 
He'll give you faith. It's just like the, the father was, was crying out and Jesus is like, if I can. And he's like, I, I do have faith. I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my faith. And Jesus did. He healed his son. He helped his faith. He grew his faith. And Jesus will do the same for you and I if we just place in his hands. God is eternal. He knew us before we ever existed. He knows us now. Every hair that's on your head, every tear that you cried, and he's already gone ahead of you. He knows the days that are yet ahead. He knows it all. He's eternal. He's outside of time. And so we can trust him, right? He lived in the same flesh as we do. And he showed us how to get through all of life's temptations and challenges and struggles and opposition so that we can finish well and gain victory overall, even as he has. That's where he's calling us from. His life, his death, and his resurrection reminds us of the importance of looking forward and the fullness of hope to derive our strength, to derive our unshakable faith, to derive our trust that's in the Heavenly Father. Remember, he didn't want to take on the cross. He prayed three times. If there's any other way, he's like, yet I will trust you. Yet I will do your will. Your will, Lord, not mine, be done. He, he proved what it is like to live that life, it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life, that you're never going to have any challenges, that things aren't going to be hard, that, that things aren't going to get stolen from you, but God is a restorer. God is a rewarder. And oh my goodness, look where Jesus is now. Do you, do you think even for a moment he regrets the cross? No. In fact, James says that it was for joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, Right? The Father has proven that he will work all things together for good. He'll set all things right if we just persevere, keep pushing on, and trust him. Don't fight your own battles. Trust him. If he's calling you to fight, fight. And fight like you've never fought before. But if he calls you to just be still and to watch the salvation of the Lord, you better just be still and just watch what he's going to do. We turn on Hebrews chapter 12, right? Verse 1 through 3. Most of us know this. Most of us have it memorized. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and we are every day, every day surrounded, let us throw off everything that hinders. See, some of us are waiting for Jesus to remove things from our lives when Jesus said, I've empowered you to do it. Just do it. I've set you free. Walk out of that cage, right? Shake those shackles off. So I can dance. <laughs> Anyways. <sighs> Let us throw off everything that hinders. And that's not even just sin, because then he goes on and say, and the sin that so easily entangles. See, one of the greatest tools of the enemy in this culture is busyness. Nothing. We don't need just to cast off the sin that entangles, but we're also called to throw off everything that hinders. All these things that just keep us so busy and hinders us from really focusing on something and doing something well. Cast it all off and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a path for your life. And in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. It, it wasn't James. It was Paul. I lied. Sorry, I lied to y'all. <laughs> for the joy. Actually, he did talk about that though, right? Where are my Bible people out here? James talked about the joy, right? He said, count it all joy when you face. Yeah, thank you. I knew that. Thank you, Spirit. Okay, anyways. Um, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down. He kicked back on his great 
lazy chair of a throne, right? He's a lazy boy. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such incredible opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you see, instead of longing for the past, we can become eagerly excited for the good things that God has planned for us yet ahead in our future. Consider Jesus and how he trusted the Heavenly Father through the good times and the bad, and it led him to the ultimate victory over all things. Everything will bow to the name of Jesus. Seated at the right hand of the Father, given all power, all authority, everything restored. Everything that he laid down to wrap himself in flesh was given to him again in an even greater measure, I believe. Consider him so you don't grow weary and don't give up. That place where Jesus is is the place where he's calling you and I. That is the place where Jesus told his disciples, I've gone ahead of you and I've prepared a place. And don't worry about how to get there. I will give you the Holy Spirit and I'll make sure you get there. In fact, he's preparing a mansion right for us. So don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. It's not over yet. God still has the final word. He still has a plan and a purpose for it all. It is not an accident what we are going through. Even when the enemy attacks us, it is only by the permission of God. Read Job and and read all about it, right? Over and over and over again, we see God's people being urged to keep moving forward and not to try to go back. Luke recorded these encounters with Jesus that every time I read these, it makes me cringe. It seems so harsh. Like, Jesus, how could you say that? But they really aren't so harsh when we look at them through the eyes of eternity and from the perspective of God, who is calling us onward and upward, right? Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62. says, as they were walking along, Jesus and his disciples, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, (laughs) imagine a pastor having an altar call and yes, Lord. And then, then the pastor says, well, foxes and dens, foxes have dens, birds have nests. But I have no place to lay my head. Speaking of the Son of Man, Jesus himself. They said, another man, follow me. He's calling him out, drawing him. But the man replied, Lord, first, there's a key word there, first, let me go bury my father. I buried my own dad. How could Jesus be so heartless as to say this? Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's a priority here. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who starts following Jesus and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean you're disqualified. Just means you're not fit. <laughs> just means you, you got some growing to do, right? I got, I got to enroll in the fitness class of Jesus, which he calls discipleship, right? Got to get rid of some of this flesh and learn how to put his kingdom first. But Jesus said, no turning back. No turning back. Nobody starts following me and looks back. Following Jesus in the kingdom of God is a choice, and it is an intentional heartfelt, not heartfelt, I don't want to say heartfelt. It's an intentional choice, not an emotional one. It is a choice that is wholehearted, whole-souled, whole-strength, whole-minded commitment, right? It's the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, that's, that's the first command. And then love others as you love yourself, right? But we need to realize why this is the case. This gives us the perspective that understands that Jesus' words aren't so harsh. When we put our faith in Jesus, our old self dies and the Holy Spirit raises us up as a new creation. We are born again. That's how Jesus described it, right? In John 3 to Nicodemus. Is it John 3 to Nicodemus? Anyways, he says you're born again. The old is gone. The new is here. God's word uses incredibly forceful words to describe the process of our salvation. It is a, it is a, I can't even think of the word for it. It is, it, it, it's a very aggressive, a, a very crazy thing that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. We change. We are transformed, right? He uses words that literally indicate that it's a life or death matter. And it's one that we have to stop being so apathetic about it. He said to carry your cross daily. He said, crucify the flesh. He said, put to death your old self and your old ways. He didn't mince words. He didn't say, shove it under the rug. Forget about it. You're good. My grace is enough. You live however you want to live. No, he's like, stop being a zombie. Stop raising that old person to life. I killed that person. You're a new person. That was the old you. This is the new you. You got to stop being that way. Let the old person die once and for all. And in reality, Jesus, he held nothing back for you and I. So why would we hold anything back from him? Why would we keep, like, you know, I love the old newsboys, the British newsboys, the bald guy, I can't remember his name, but, you know, he's like, you know, that was back when I was first saved in the 90s. He said, you look like a mama's boy on your first day of school. Why? Because you're carrying all this baggage with you from your past. You got all this baggage with you and you're weighed down and you're entangled and you're ensnared and you wonder why all these promises of God, this isn't the life. Jesus, you said I'm supposed to have joy. I'm miserable. Jesus, you said I'm supposed to have hope. I'm hopeless. We wonder why all these things are happening. Sometimes it's because we just haven't slipped off all those things that ensnare us and entangle us. We need to let the past go once and for all. Eternity literally hangs in the balance of the lives of those around us. And of course, we remember not even Jesus was able to convince everyone to follow him. Not even Jesus in the flesh was able to convince everyone to place their faith in him, but he certainly made sure everybody had the opportunity. See, the results aren't up to you, and the results aren't even up to God. God honors the choices that we make, but it is our responsibility as ambassadors of God to tell people about his great salvation, about how good he is. And we can't do that if we keep looking back. After Jesus died, six of his disciples, I counted them up by name, they went fishing. They went back to their old life. Peter got back on the boat and started fishing because Jesus died. He didn't know what to do. So what did he do? He went back to what was familiar. He went back. And what did Jesus do? He showed up in the flesh and he's like, hey guys, come have breakfast with me. Like, he redirected them. You can't go back. It's time to move forward. Whew, it's powerful. The resurrected Jesus met with them. A whole generation of God's people missed out on the abundance of his promise because they kept longing to go back to Egypt instead of looking ahead into the unknown where there was a lot of opposition, but there was a promise of God to trump all that opposition. They missed out because they kept looking back. They kept longing for yesterday. Lot's wife, I mean, you know, I joke about it. She's still a little salty about the whole thing. You know, she decided to look back and, you know, she missed out. I mean, over and over and over again, there's so many scriptural examples of where 
looking back, only hindered people, only broke people, only kept them from God's fulfilled promises. I couldn't find a single instance in all of Scripture where somebody looked back and God blessed it and honored it and, and, and brought them into his path. God's path is always forward, so why do we think we could navigate it walking on it backwards, right? There's a cool, cool example, history lesson. In 1519, Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez, anybody ever heard of that guy? He arrived in Mexico to conquer it with a large group of ships and soldiers and all kinds of guys. But unfortunately, when they arrived on the shores, they were outnumbered over 7,000 people to one. Way outnumbered. It was an absolutely impossible task that they had to conquer that land. Impossible odds. They, in fact, were the third expedition to arrive on those same shores. And the previous expeditions all ended in disaster. They knew what they were getting into. This was a suicide mission. But how did he succeed when others failed? A lot of you might know this uh, account. He burned the ships. His men had no choice. You either fight and conquer or you die. There's no choice. He burned their ships. There was no going back. Literally no way to go back. Those men had no choice but to accomplish their mission. And as a result, they conquered most of South America. Now, I'm not saying what they did was right or wrong. Personally, I think it's pretty wrong. But anyways, but the biblical principle is there. Burn the ships. Make sure there's no way back. The modern expression is burn your bridges. Make sure there's, there's no way to go back to that. So you only keep moving forward. Now the path that we're speaking of, it is one that God has planned and prepared for us. Oh, I'm not on the right uh, slide. Sorry. Okay, yeah, burn ships. Anyways, the, the path that God has for us, that he has planned, he has prepared, that he wants us to walk out. He said that there are only a few who find it in life. And when we're on that path that God has for us, that does not mean that you're not going to revisit some places. You're not going to revisit some relationships. You're not going to revisit some people. The path forward can contain your past. But what it means is you're not trying to go back there. Do you understand the difference? You can physically go to those things without longing for the past and trying to stick there. And this morning we're going to turn, if you want, to 1 Kings 19. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. To learn from a couple powerful men of God, ones who lived in cooperation with God in a way that they didn't even have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit yet the way that we do. It, but they walked in cooperation with God so powerfully that it was common belief, believe that Jesus was actually one of them. And we're talking about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to read through the whole account. Believe it or not, you can read it on your own. Powerful things happened. But much like us, Elijah was just a man. That's how he's described. Just a man like you and I. Nothing all that special about him. All that was special about him was his obedience to God. His desire to seek after him and to fulfill his plans for our lives, for his life. It's amazing the things that he experienced over and over and over again. The miraculous hand of God. And yet still, he was a man like you and I, and he had the fear of man. He was afraid of people, even though he experienced the miraculous hand of God and the power of God over and over and over again. And he was 
in particularly scared, not necessarily of one man, but one woman. So men, afraid of your spouses. Okay. Elijah was afraid. <laughs> Elijah's afraid of this woman called Jezebel. You know, just the name doesn't carry a very positive connotation and for good purpose when you read about her in the scriptures, right? Pretty wicked person. But man, he was afraid of her. And that proved to be a snare. He had this huge showdown in 1 Kings chapter 18 with the prophets and the followers of Baal to see if Baal was truly a God or if the Lord was truly God. And we all know how that ended. The Lord proved himself faithful, right, in a miraculous way. Um, he proves himself over and over and over again. Don't be afraid of, you know, letting him do that in your life. However, Elijah was still afraid of Jezebel's threat to kill him, so he literally ran for his life. And now he wasn't running the way that Jonah ran. And I never caught this before. This is another little nugget of, of secret of the kingdom of God that I never saw before. Do you know where Elijah was running to? He was running to Horeb, to the mountain of God, to that same place where Moses met with God, the Lord face to face, where the Ten Commandments were written on the tablets and all those powerful encounters. In fact, it's really cool. Here's another nugget of scripture. You can actually find where Jesus was at the transfiguration. And you can look back in the scriptures and find where Elijah met with the Lord and where Moses met with the Lord on that same mountain, in that same place. Like, I just love it. Time travel, you know? Jesus did it. <laughs> so cool, so cool. When Moses said, show me your glory, when the Lord showed himself to Elijah here and then the transfiguration, it was Jesus, Jesus, the glory of God. Anyways, he just had that showdown. He was running away. He was running the mountain of God. He was running away from the troubles of the world to get into the presence of God. It's not such a bad thing, right? God even sent an angel to feed him and to strengthen him for that very journey so that he could make it to that place. And when Elijah arrived, God asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? God might be asking some of us that this morning, huh? Why, where are you at? Why are you there? Elijah had a lot of time running and had planned and prepared a whole speech, just, just like any good preacher, you know? He knew exactly what he was going to say. God did his thing, right? He tore apart the rocks that stood between Elijah and himself, this mighty wind. Then there was an earthquake. Then there was a fire. But God wasn't in any of that. So remember, just because there's a lot of noise, just because there's a lot of activity going on, right? And I caution this about church shopping, you know? Just because there's a thousand activities to choose from doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord's in it. You want to be where the Lord is. The Lord was with 120 in the upper room. And he changed the world for all eternity, right? You want to be where the Lord is at. Because the Lord wasn't in all that noise and all that activity about God. God was in that whisper that came afterward. And guess what God said? The exact same thing he said before. Elijah, what are you doing here? And guess what Elijah did? He gave the exact same prepared sermon word for word. God's like, okay, <laughs> okay. He's clearly not getting it. I mean, what do I need to do to get this guy's attention? <sighs> Might be saying that about you and I this morning too, you know? God just hadn't gotten through to him. God corrected Elijah's perspective, and he did send him back the way that he came. 
Because there was work there yet to be finished that God had planned and prepared for him to do. Sometimes to go forward on God's path for our lives, sometimes we do have to go back and pick up where we left off. It doesn't mean you're longing for the, the past and you're going to stay there forever, but it means you've got to go back and pick up where you left off to move forward. One of those tasks was to anoint Elisha, son of Shapat, from um, Abel Maliah to succeed him as prophet. And we read this account here, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, 21. So Elijah went from there. He found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So that family must have been loaded. 12 yoke of oxen. Whew, it's crazy. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I will come to you. Does that sound familiar from the people that came to Jesus, right? Elijah replied. He said, go back. Then he asked this question. And God didn't give me a revelation about this question, what it really meant. I can read some things into it. But I don't know. Let the, let the word of God speak to you this morning. But when Elijah told him to go back to his parents, Elijah asked this question. He said, what have I done to you? I'm not going to speculate. I have my own personal speculations just because of where Elijah was at and what he was going through. He knew that mantle, yes, it came with power and authority in the Lord. But he knows that with more responsibility and with more power, more authority, when you rise up in the levels of the Spirit, there's more opposition. There, there were challenges ahead of him. And I just picture Elijah saying that as Elisha is running away from him. He's like, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took. So he goes to his father and mother. He says goodbye. God was gracious in that. Let him do that. Then he came back to Elijah. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment. Burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and then he gave it to all the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, Elisha made sure there was no turning back. When Peter began to follow Jesus, he didn't burn his boat. He left it there on the shore. He didn't burn his nets. He left them there, just in case. We like to have a plan B. We like to be comfortable, right? Sometimes in the kingdom of God, there's no plan B. You got to let go of it all and follow the Lord. Everything. That's what Elisha did. I mean, that had to be one heck of a bonfire, you know. I mean, we, we like to party around our fires around here. It was no different then. It was a time of celebration. A time of celebration of the calling of God on Elisha's life. The anointing of God that was coming. They partied, they celebrated. I mean, think about that. He celebrated over the ashes. And that was no small value in what he burned up. You know, he, he could have sold it off and used the money for their travels and their ministry. He could have gave it to the family so they could have, you know, continued. The family could have hired someone in to take his yoke of oxen and work them. You know, he could have done all these things. But Elisha didn't any, let, let any of those temptations of the flesh set in. He was determined. He was going to follow Elijah. He was going to follow the plans of the Lord. And there was no turning back. You know, 
Jesus pondered the question of whether or not he would find faith when he returns to the earth. He said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, he wishes we were either hot or cold. God likes a good bonfire. He loves a good bonfire. There are tongues of fire on the people. Say he loves to set us ablaze with his fire. He wants to baptize us in fire, the fire of the Lord. He wants us to be like that, that bush that Moses saw. We keep burning, and yet we're not harmed, you know? He wants us to, to be a light under the world, like a lighthouse, you know, that people come and see what the strange thing is. What is the strange thing that's happening with you? What is your deal? What is going on? There's another quick account that I just had to share also from the, the New Testament uh, before we close up here. Acts chapter 19. This is just, I love the first part because I just love the first part, so I'm going to share it too. But it says, some Jews, this is, this is you know, of course, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, um, you know, this is what well, they're going forward and they're sharing the good news about Jesus. You know, they're going out and they're letting everyone know. And some Jews, they saw what, what the disciples of Jesus were doing, and they're like, whoa, that works. Let's do that too. So, so some Jews went around, they were driving out evil spirits. <coughs> and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And apparently they were pretty successful at it because they just kept doing it. They just kept doing it. Then this guy, or these dudes, the seven sons of Sceva, which he was a Jewish priest, so he was a guy. And they were doing this. On one day, the evil spirit answered them this time. This evil spirit didn't just run away. This evil spirit um, was like, uh, hold on a second here. Jesus I know. Right? Demons aren't, I mean, you know, they know Jesus. They were in his presence before he kicked them out of heaven when war broke out, right? So Jesus I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, outpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of that house naked and bloody. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You want to talk about revival breaking out? Beat the snot out of somebody. Revival might just break out, you know? That's what this evil spirit did. But anyways, I love this in verse 18. Many of those who believed, they... ...brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. They didn't count the cost. They knew that those things was an entanglement, an ensnarement. They were following Jesus and there was no turning back. They burned them all in the public. They confessed their sins publicly. They burned those scrolls, those scrolls of sorcery and witchcraft publicly. And it says in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord began to spread widely and it continued to grow in power. Power in the word of God. Power in our testimony. There is power when we choose to burn our ships and not look back. So the question that God wants to ask all of us this morning, 
What is it this morning from our past that we are still dragging along with us? I kind of picture it like in those old cartoons, the giant ball and chain, right? You know, how many of us are still dragging that ball and chain and wondering why we can't just run with endurance for the Lord? Why it's so hard to live for Jesus? Maybe it's because we just haven't walked out of that bondage, right? What is your that needs lit on fire? <laughs> What's the ice cube in your life that keeps you lukewarm, right? What's that thing you keep in your life that just keeps you lukewarm and not on fire for the Lord, blazing, burning ablaze at the flames of God? He is an all-consuming fire. What is it? What is it? This morning, it's time to burn those ships to hold nothing back, nothing back from Jesus. Amen. <laughs>